Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today, on part one of our show, we're going to talk with J.K. Woodward, the artist behind a lot of IDW's great comics today. And in part two, I have a fantastic blog and podcast combination I cannot wait to tell you about. So let's not worry about it. Let's go ahead and get started. On mic today, we have J.K. Woodward, the artist behind quite a few of my recent favorites from IDW. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Good to be here. Oh, glad to have you. Glad to have you. I, like, I, I'm sincerely meaning that. I'm Your style is just, it's really exciting to me. I'm, you, and IDW has given you the chance to play with all my favorite toys, so I'm kind of jealous of you in that regard. <laughs> it can be a fun job, I'll tell you. I bet it can. I bet it can. What, what, what are your favorites when you say your favorites? I'm, I'm interviewing you now. <laughs> okay, well, no, no, see, like, the idea is just to, you know, have a good conversation. I love your work on the Trek. Um, when we were on the cruise together, you did a lot of the, the I saw you do the Klingons, uh, the Discovery Style Klingons. Yeah, yeah. And that was just getting a chance to see those, because what I love about your style is, like, it almost merges the, the difference between watching the show and reading the comic. You wind up in this little halfway area there, because your your, your style is so expressive. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, it's always important to me, especially when we're doing something like City on the Edge of Forever, um, you know, with the original series where we wanted to make it feel like an episode as much as possible. Uh, the thing is, with comics, you can uh, you can do a little more, and the temptation is always there to do something a little more. Um, but I try to reel that in so it feels like a TV episode, so it feels like an occasion. It was also important with the Mirror Universe of Next Generation. I wanted it to feel like we were doing a, a, a Mirror Universe uh, mm-hmm. episode. Like, if, if that could have been done mm-hmm. budget-wise, you know. Uh, yeah, and that, it's kind of, it was always kind of like a, stuck out as a sore thumb that the Next Gen never had its own Mirror Universe episode when every other series really tried it. And, I probably um, said this on the cruise, but yesterday's Enterprise was their Mirror Universe. They just, yes. they didn't go all in. You know, they didn't want to... Yeah. It did probably, and it's probably a smart move because it really didn't fit in with the theme of the show, I think. No. Um, it, you know, if you had, like, ridiculous space pirates, it just wouldn't fit with what Next Generation was doing, which was really kind of a, a, a little more wheeled-in, you know, mature show. Uh, not, not suggesting that TOS isn't mature, but I'm saying they just never went that far in. You know, they, no. they never went quite that crazy. Not, not after the third season, anyways. <laughs> Certainly not. Now, with Next Gen, they, they made a lot of deliberate choices to say, what would TOS do? We have to not do that. And, and that was almost their mantra for a long time. Well, except, again, for the first two seasons where they were just mm-hmm. trying to redo. I yeah. mean, there, there were a couple episodes for a season, like... Um, Naked Now. Yeah, what was, what was the, the, the horrible one? Matter of Honor? That was... Yeah. Not the Code third season Honor. one? Code of Honor. Code of Honor, yeah. I always mix up the two. Um, where, yeah, you could tell it was going for the TOS feel and it just, it, it didn't work and it was horribly racist and it was just, we tried to forget it existed. Um, <laughs> and of course there was the, uh, the Naked Time and the Naked Now, which was directly correlated. They didn't even hide that. They kind of went right in for it. But I, I feel like generally after three, the characters, the actors were finding their characters and even defining their characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just became, it became a better show. It became better when they decided not to try to be... TOS. It became the show we actually remember. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, when you, uh, you have a, a background in, in rock music, actually, that was actually your original ambition in life. 
Sort of yes and sort of no. That was more tongue in cheek in my uh, uh, in my bio. Uh, a friend wrote it for me, and that that's that's kind of how he saw it. Me, I was just playing around in high school. I was in a band, but I was never a serious musician. In fact, I can I I could barely play guitar even back then, and I can't play at all now. It's been so long. So I don't know if I ever took that really seriously, or if that was just you know teenage boy trying to get girls. Sure. And, and well, you know, comic artist wasn't doing it. <laughs> No, it doesn't work. Trust me. I tried. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I just found it so interesting that that, that would be used to describe you because, you know, when I saw you up there on stage doing the live drawing, you had a very contemplative methodology. You had a easy to have a conversation with the crowd, talking about what you were doing. You were much more Bob Ross than Axl Rose on stage. <laughs> and I'm hoping that's a compliment. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Okay. Okay. It was intended as such, but you yeah. don't know how that's going to fly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my uh, my feeling when I was when I'm on the cruise and, and doing those on stage shows, which I don't do that often at cons, we usually have a panel where we're not really interacting with the audience till the very end. You know. So it was. It's for me. It's just nice to 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 have a conversation, and that's what I did. I did it more for myself, but I figured um, watching somebody paint can get pretty boring. <laughs> you know, let's face it. I mean, you want to see the end pro product and you like to see how it's done, but, you know, nine-tenths of it is just like, let's get this over with, you know. So, you know, for me, I think just talking to the audience uh, was not just fun for me, but it made it a little bit better. And, and a conversational tone is better than me trying to be a performer, which I'm not, you know. So what was your collaboration with Peter David like? Uh, it was a lot of fun. When, when that started, I was new in comics. We were working together on um, a book called Fallen Angel, which had been at DC with a different artist and had got canceled. Um, and this was when I first started. We, um, I think it was like 2004 me, was the first time we worked together. And I ended up working with him for three years on this title uh, before we ever worked anything with Star Trek. Uh, and it, it was strange because I was a fan, so I'm, I'm, I'm coming at this not from a professional colleague. I'm, I'm totally green, and I've been a fan of his for his work in the 90s. Um, but it turned out to be a great working relationship, and we ended up becoming friends. And, uh, you know, I guess three years will do that. You either become enemies or you become friends. <laughs> um, but it became a, uh, a lot more fun. And it was, uh, you know, though I worked off full scripts, there was some... Uh, a lot of collaboration. I, I remember being on the phone with him a lot because I like to do that um, with ideas. <laughs> so uh, I could, go ahead. I, I could see him being a very a guy who's very open to at least ideas and hashing stuff out. That uh, most certainly, certainly, he was always open to ideas. In fact, he's, I think he was one that that suggested that. If you got any thoughts, yeah, just let me know. Um, but when he does, when he does have a reason for doing something, he has a reason for doing it. And it'll always let you know, too, you know, because, you know, if, for instance, if there's a lamp on panel three, page two of a script, it's going to come into play probably page 10, panel five. You know, there's always any, yeah. any you know, any, any particular thought he has, I learned not to question because it's always going to, I know it's always going to come into play later, even if it's a few issues later. So I kind of trust his judgment. But whenever I have any kind of creative thoughts, um, he always encouraged me to come to him with that. So that was a fun and uh, I don't know if this is where you're going with this, but I recently worked with him again on the uh, oh. on the Picard story for a Star Trek project. Oh, okay. And we hadn't worked together in, jeez, this makes me feel old when I say things like this, uh, 15 years or so. <laughs> it had been a while since we worked together, so it was kind of fun. Um, and it was specifically done for the 20th anniversary of uh, IDW. 
So they were getting the the old band back together for that, and uh, sure, and they were telling a story twenty years in Picard's past. So that's how it all fit in. It was a lot of fun. I got to draw Picard with hair. <laughs> Always fun to do. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just started looking over your body of work here just to kind of make sure I had my, my frame of reference. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh my God, that book is 10 years old now. And I just feels like I just went down to the comic shop and got it. And yeah, it's, it's just amazing that they've been around so long and this, they've got a good formula. Yeah. Um, I, I think I started doing Star Trek in around 2006. Uh, when I think about it, that's 13 years ago. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I, I look back at, uh, I think, I don't know if you're referring to anything specific, but the, the crossover I did, the Doctor Who crossover, I think that's like about 10 years old now. Yeah, it's one of the things I saw. and, and... Yeah, I know. And it, yeah, it feels like I just did it, too. And I, that was the first time I started working with the Tiptons was with that crossover. And we've been working together ever since um, to great success. I liked. Sure. Well, I mean, now that you've gone, you've spent that much time with IDW. I want to go back to the rock thing for a minute. Do you see yourself as being like a, a David Bowie where you now have phases in your work? <laughs> um, you know, it's funny you mentioned David Bowie because that's that's probably my biggest influence outside of artists. And it was because he would always reinvent himself. Uh, it's a little harder to do that in comic books because I, I, I tried to change mediums with which I worked several times and the editors always uh, resisted that idea because... If something works, you, you don't mess with it. Mm -hmm. um, but it, if you look at a book I did specifically, uh, it, it was a Klingon book, and Klingons, you know, from being on the cruise, are my favorite. Um, I did a book called 4,000 Throats. I believe the writer was Keith the Candido. And uh, there were four separate parts of the story. It was a single-issue story, but there were four separate parts. And it was Kang uh, telling his life story from uh, before... Uh, TOS to that episode of Deep Space Nine where he's going after the um, uh, the albino, and he was telling stories, Klingon stories. Some of them he wasn't in, but from specific different eras. One was medieval, medieval times, like a thousand years after Kalis. Um, one of them was the original series. Anyways, for every specific story, I changed my art style, and this is something I like to do, and I haven't been able to do. So it was kind of a good example if you want to see. Something that isn't the same painted stuff I always do. Check out that issue. It's called Four Thousand Throats. I did like a for the TOS. I did sort of a cartoony style, which was sort of a, a tip of the hat to the animated series, which I, mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of. <laughs> ah. So I wanted to draw, and not specifically that style because I wasn't sure IDW had the rights at the time. Mm -hmm. But I did something reminiscent of it. Uh, I, I did a much more uh, classic painted style for things like um, the, the Age of Kalis one I was talking about. And uh, I did sort of a middle middle style for a story that took place um, around the time, I think it was Enterprise C story. So it was around that time. Awesome, awesome. But now, to me, too, the animated series does not get enough love. It really doesn't. That was... yeah. That was my introduction to the Trek, and if that is the, the most subpar Trek there is, well, that is, Trek is a huge part of my life today as a result of it, so it can't be that bad. And they weren't that bad. Some of those stories were incredible. They were better mm -hmm. than some TOS stories. I mean, yes. TOS was always hit or miss. These stories were every bit as good. I think most of them were even better. Mm -hmm. And it could include a little more far-out stuff, and I think that's why people tend to not take it seriously. And the animation, okay, let's be honest, wasn't great. 
right. there, and it was always the same repeated stuff they used, and that that was a uh, it was filmation, right? I think. That, right. Yeah. So there was there was a tradition of that. Uh, if you look at the old '67 Spider-Mans and things like that, of of older animation using the same shots over and over again, so they didn't have to draw new cells, and that was a way to come come in on budget. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can't fault it for that. No. I mean, it would it would be nice to see another animated series, uh, you know, done with you know now that we can do tweening with the computers and it's not all hand drawn cell animation. You could probably come in under budget and do some really great stuff, but I don't think we'll ever see that. Maybe next gen. <laughs> I mean, I know yeah. there's a new animated series coming out. One there's one for children and one for adults, and mm-hmm. uh, one is with CBS and one's Nickelodeon. And I'm really excited to I see those. I believe so. Yeah. I'm really yeah. It's it's gonna be gonna be like being five years old again. Really yeah, yeah. Is. I actually pitched an idea for IDW that never got done. Maybe it will one day. Hopefully, right? Everybody write letters. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was uh, the next generation, the animated series. We wanted to we wanted to create, and I was going to work with um, uh, who was going to work with one of the writers. I don't remember. It's so long ago. But what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to handle it like it was going to happen instead of, uh, instead of the movies. So mm-hmm. after the last episode, they planned to go to directly to a animated series, which of course didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But, so we wanted it to be like, we found some archives from the nineties and, and make it as real as it would have been if they had done mm-hmm. that. And, uh, that was the pitch, and we were going to include, like, you know, just little things like uh, inter-office memos that didn't really exist about, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart or something, you know, saying how he saw this going and that kind of thing. Uh, maybe one day. Maybe one day, because that's what I would love to do, and I would love to do the same thing where you add an alien character and put him on the bridge, you know, put him at uh, Ops or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe get a little note from Playmates as to the types of toys they're trying to knock out for that show. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. We really wanted to get in the, the spirit of this. Um, hopefully it'll happen one day, because one of the aliens I wanted to put on the bridge was a, a Die-Eye, which is a character the Tiptons and I created for the crossover. And they're like mm-hmm. little fish people, and I thought that would be kind of cool. One day. Hey, but yes, the animated series, uh, you know, I, I would love an animated universe again. I love the idea of it, and I hope uh, Star Trek continues in that tradition. Yeah, it's a universe of possibilities. It's a mistake to say we have to have a, a Star Trek that is exactly like this, and that is a vision we had in the mid-90s, which we cannot deviate from. Yeah, well, that's it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, there was to, to say that is to say we couldn't have the one in the 90s, because mm-hmm. that deviated from the 60s. Um, I've heard of a lot of what we're hearing about Discovery, a lot of the resistance from some people, sounds a lot Sounds very familiar. I heard mm-hmm. in 1978 or 1979 when the motion picture came out, people were outraged about the Klingons having bumps on their heads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was the same argument. The Klingons don't yeah. look right. I mean, and, and I've heard it before. And, and uh, I heard a lot of complaints about the next generation. And uh, mm-hmm. there was a, like there was a lot of resistance to that at first from people that were traditionalists from the 60s. So and, and it'll keep happening. It'll keep adjusting. The reason it survives is adjust to. The storytelling, te- storytelling techniques of its time. So if they're going to do something in the year 2050, they're going to do it in the, whatever style we're watching in 2050, and the old timers mm-hmm. just got to get used to it. Time marches on, but it is in its core Star Trek. I mean, yes, it always has been. It hasn't changed. It's just superficial changes, you know. Indeed. I, now, for example, I 
I figured out a while back that Star Trek has been around, as you say, for over 50 years. Mm-hmm. It has made an obscene amount of money. <laughs> the people in charge of it wish to keep making obscene amounts <laughs> of money. They're not going to let it turn to garbage. Have a little confidence there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, you, you can't make anything good by trying to please uh, all of the fans. That'll never happen. So there's always going to be people that are uh, at first. But, uh, you know, we don't watch Star Trek because we want it to be our story. We watch it because we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we are spectators. You know, as a fan, I am a spectator. It's great to be able to play in it, but I'll be honest. I have more fun watching it, not knowing what's going to happen. One of the downsides of working on uh, uh, Discovery before it came out is I got the script ahead of time. I had to sign an NDA. I knew what was coming. It's not as fun. You know, and controlling it is even less fun. I mean, it's fun in a different way while you're doing it, but you really don't want control of of Star Trek. You want to sit down and go, oh, what's going to happen? And as somebody who's been on both sides, I'll tell you, it's more fun that way. Indeed, true. I mean, just when uh, Generations came out, I mean, I picked up every magazine with it on the cover. I I didn't have the internet yet, but I was having conversations with people. I was trying to get as much detail as I could. Oh, yeah. When First first Contact came out, I went on a total media blackout. (laughs) Which movie do you think I enjoyed more? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, that's exactly it. You can be your own worst enemy sometimes as, mm-hmm. as a fan. Because you, you do. It, you're supposed to. I mean, this isn't a criticism. You're supposed to get obsessed with it. I mean, that's that's where fan comes from, fanatic. And I do get obsessed with it. But, it, you know, you got to learn to put the, the reins on yourself sometimes so you can actually enjoy it because you'll ruin it for yourself. Especially if you have, like, a rigid idea of what it's supposed to be. The fundamentals mm-hmm. are always there. I, I promise you that. <laughs> But if you have a very rigid idea of what the story's telling style is supposed to be, what the aesthetic is supposed to be, mm-hmm. it, you, you're going to kill it for yourself. You know? sure. Whereas if you sit back and enjoy the ride, you're going to love it. And Star Trek is still Star Trek. Yeah. You're getting really jazzed out about this, and I love watching this. Um, you know, when I go back and I look at old Star Trek comics from DC and Marvel... And I look at the artists that worked on them, and in a lot of cases, it seems like that their work on the Star Trek comic was just a quick stop on their way to another title that they became better known for. Yeah, it was it, it was either a stepping stone or, I don't know, a punishment or something? Like, nobody seemed excited to work on it too much, because you always saw it in the work. Even artists I had known that were on Star Trek, it wasn't their best work. Right. Yeah, it was, it was always the uh, kind of unwanted stepchild of the comic book industry, you if you were at DC and Star Trek's at DC, you'd rather be doing Batman, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's same with Marvel. You'd rather be on Spider-Man or X-Men, not, not Star Trek. Um, but when it's at a company like IDW, you go there because you like Star Trek, you know, so we're getting talent now that wants to do Star Trek. And I think it makes a huge difference. And it's not like it we does. haven't had that before. There was, there, was, um, th- there was a little bit of that in the 90s with Malibu where you got artists that, and, and writers that really wanted to be on Star Trek, but never, never quite like this. So, no. yeah, it's it for, you know, and I know, I know it's uh, not the most important to Star Trek fans. The comics is probably the bottom rung, but it's the best time for Star Trek comics that there's ever been. Mm-hmm, by a good margin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's not to disparage those artists, because some really great artists did work on the Star Trek I comics. have the whole Marvel collection right here. I got the whole DC collection. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. I'm just saying I feel like there's a lot more enthusiasm now than there was. 
But I'm sitting here talking to you right now, and it's like, okay, this is why it works this time around. Okay, I get it. Yeah, you can see, I don't know if you can see it from here, but I got a whole shelf of Star Trek comics. I, I kind of see it there, yeah. I don't know if you can tell behind me here. I have a, a print of the planet Bajor against my wall. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes. Very, very talented cool. artist by the name of Brandon Bird. You should definitely look him up if you don't know him already. Yeah, all right. Cool. Yeah, I couldn't tell what that was, but I was curious. <laughs> okay, so uh, what's what's your next plan down the road? What are you working on at this point? Well, we can finally announce it. Okay. Depending on how this airs, uh, but uh, we uh, we made I'll speak in past tense. We made an announcement at San Diego Comic Con last week. Um, Mirror Universe Voyager. We're doing a single issue of Mirror Universe Voyager, which I'm excited for several reasons. Let me outline this for you. <laughs> first of all, one of the first commissions I did at a Comic-Con after, um, after Mirror Broken that got me really excited was somebody just gave me collage and wanted me to design Mirror Voyager characters. And while I'm doing it, I'm coming up with these stories because it's what you do when you draw stuff. And I'm thinking, now i got to bring this to the Tiptons, which, which we did. That pitch didn't go through, but it came from, it came from uh, like three years ago, I guess, at this point. Um, Three-year-ago commission. Then I find out we're going to be doing one. It's going to be a single issue. It's going to be a Halloween special. It's coming out in October. Um, and they like the designs I already had. So I, didn't, I, I changed very little on that. Now, the backstories of the characters changed, and unfortunately, I won't be working with Tiptons. Um... I'll have to get you the writer's name. It's somebody I haven't worked with before, but um, I've seen the outline, and I, I love where the story's going. So once again, I'm really charged up about the Mirror Universe. Um, the, uh, the third reason I'm really excited is this year on the cruise, I'm, I'm a guest on the cruise again, and this year it's a Voyager cast. I don't know if you heard about the, the guests they're having on the cruise. No. I mean, I, I have heard, yes. There were there was always a couple of uh, Voyager cast, but ne you know now they have um, pretty much the whole cast. I think, with the exception of a couple. Uh, so it's going to be a Voyager cruise, pretty much. <laughs> and awesome. uh, this will be like three months after this book, or four months after this book comes out. So it'll be really exciting to see, because I, I always meet these people. I, I dine with them uh, three times a day. It'll be interesting to see what they thought of their characters. And if they haven't seen the book, I'll have one with me. I'm like, yeah, look, Tuvok, look. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that. And, and it was just announced, um, and I, uh, I'll just now be starting. It has to be done by uh, the end of uh, August. So I'll, I'm going to be working pretty hard day and night on it. Totally understandable, totally understandable. And now I think I could show you the cover since this is video, if you want to see. Okay. okay, I have it right here. See if it comes up. Tell me how far back I have to go. Oh, oh, that is. This is the original cover, and I'll send you a file of the uh, high res so you can like edit it in if you'd like. But sure, I would love to do that. Okay, so I'll get you the file. But just for now, this is uh, this is what we got. This is the original, and I haven't decided what charity that I want to donate it to yet. But I usually with covers, if I don't sell them, I uh, I auction them or raffle them for a charity. So. Uh, figure that out, and I will announce that in Las Vegas. So, if you like this cover, anybody who's watching, and uh, you're in Las Vegas for the big con, I'll announce then how, how you can get it. Usually I like to do raffles, because when you do raffles, anybody can afford it. 
you can buy a chance, whereas not everybody has, you know, fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars for a piece of art. So, uh, but yeah, you saw the characters. If you have any questions, I probably answer some of them. But <laughs> this is really I, still in flux. So yeah, and, and see, there's a whole bunch of possibilities the writer in me is running through right now, and I don't know if I if you could answer any of them. You probably get a lot of uh, yeah. You probably get a lot of uh, I can't say just yet. Anyways, mm -hmm. so but fair enough. I think Mirror Voyager is exciting enough because uh, a lot of people were asking about it after Mirror TNG because that's the one we did we haven't done yet. All right, sure. I think it's the only one we haven't done yet. All all the other series had uh, Mirror Universe stories now that after Mirror Broken. Mm hmm. So Voyager. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just thinking, you know, from the perspective of, of, you know, somehow Mirror Voyager gets to the Mirror U, the Delta Quadrant, and they have no competition, so yeah. they can kind of run amok there. Oh yeah, they so can do I some damage. Those. I mean, my theory, and it was never, it was never written into the story of Mirror Broken, but my theory about the board was they were decimated by the Mirror Universe. I mean, not at first, but eventually, mm -hmm. because. The only reason the Borg are still around was because of a because of a moral limitation, as they would look at it in the Mirror Universe. And they wouldn't have that in the Mirror Universe. They'd have no problem using Hume. Yeah. <laughs> or, or a computer virus, or whatever nefarious means they use to destroy the Borg, they would have gotten that done. Mm -hmm. So there is no Borg in the Mirror Universe, in my mind. Now, that's never been written into canon, so that could change, but... Um, but for my idea for Mirror Voyager, which we didn't use, or I came up with it with the Tiptons, the original pitch, was it was going to start with a, a fight with the Enterprise. That they weren't in the Delta Quadrant at first, they were renegades mm -hmm. fighting the Empire. Because the Empire used to be ruled under Spock, and it used to be, um, it used to be, it used to have some moral guidance. You know, it was, it was going in that direction, but then it got taken over again and then got weakened. The idea um, on Deep Space Nine that the Mirror Universe was weakened by morality never sit well with me. I never liked the idea that the Reformer destroyed it. I like the idea that somebody came back, took it over, fought too many wars on too many fronts, and destroyed it that way. And so my idea was that these guys on Voyager uh, were the renegades and they were fighting. And that, would, that way we could keep a half Klingon and a Vulcan and uh, alien species aboard, where you can't normally do that too much in the Terran universe because they're all racist. Right. You know, so, yeah, that was, the original idea is they were pirates fighting the Empire. <laughs> and then they got thrown into the uh, Delta Quadrant. Now, we're not going with that. We're going with something else that I can't talk about, but that was the original idea. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do come up with for sure. Oh, thanks. Well, um, I'm going to let you go. And wrap us up while we're ahead here. Uh, but if somebody wants to follow your work and they don't have a comic shop nearby, can they check you out on the internet at all? Sure. Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, JK underscore Woodward. Twitter, JK underscore Woodward. Uh, I have an art of James Kenneth Woodward on Facebook. Or JK Woodward, I don't remember which, but you'll, you'll see it. Sure. Um, and I occasionally do a podcast that I don't do as often anymore, which is called Go Trek Yourself. Okay, well, all of that is going to make it into the show notes, and I'm going to make sure to give shout-outs to every all of those uh, that, that podcast and those counts, so hopefully uh, we can get some more people heading in your direction. There we go. <laughs> Thank okay. you very much.
Thank you so much for doing this. Take good care. You bet. I would like to thank J.K. Woodward for being on the show, and I really look forward to the next time we talk, because frankly, some of the things we said off mic are warranting of an episode all their own. Now we get to the geek resources part of the show, where we examine something that really needs to be spread out to the broader internet. I'd like to talk about Rod Faulkner, who is in charge of TheSeventhMatrix.com. It's a combination blog and podcast. The podcast is called Ion Sci-Fi. And what Rod does with both of these projects is he tries to review independent science fiction projects and films. Now, I, I used to do reviews of independent projects elsewhere on the web a long time ago, and I definitely see the value in this because as... Independent filmmaking gets cheaper and easier. There's a lot more people trying to do it, and that's great. But it also makes it very hard for the really good people to stand out. And that's where websites like this come in handy. When somebody like Rod, who wants to sit down and really look at the meat and potatoes of what a movie is, can come back and say what it offers to the audience, that's great. Now, I'm just looking at the first page of his blog here. He's been at this for over a year so, I mean, this blog goes back quite a ways, but I'm looking at this movie called Static, which is a fan film about a comic book character from Milestone, which is now a sub-brand of DC Comics, and it's essentially a fan film that captures what the character's early years was like. And just to give some perspective, Milestone has been defunct since 1997, so they haven't formally published a comic book under their own brand in 20 years. So for somebody to actually take this character and put their own spin on it and make a movie about it shows a true love for that character and that's something that really needs to be shown. I'm going to watch this movie right away. There's also a movie called Remembrance about a woman that uses technology to revisit her past and two things I'm really interested in are technology and jogging old memories so that's something that hits me right where it counts and that's also going on my YouTube to watch list. And to wrap up, let's go to the community building part of the show. Here's a suggestion for a way that you might be able to help the show reach a broader audience. I've often said that you should go ahead and leave reviews for the show on iTunes, but I'm actually going to be more specific than that. If you haven't reviewed us on iTunes yet, what I'd like to ask is that you do so, but mention a specific episode. Tell in your review which episode you found the most interesting or the most rewarding, or Best yet, the weirdest. The one that you said, oh my god, why is somebody making a podcast about this? That is the kind of thing that separates us from all the other podcasts out there, is the specific reviews. So, if you could do that, that would be great. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to go to the show notes at www.aaronbossig.com for all the links that I couldn't fit into the audio version of the show. That includes J.K. Woodward's body of work and his new announcements, and Rod Faulkner's blog, podcast, and Twitter feeds. Thanks so much, and talk to you soon.